listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. How do we hold two things at once? Grief and joy, fear and excitement, sadness and gratitude. If nothing else, grief pushes us to make room for the possibility that two opposing emotions or thoughts can exist at the exact same time. When Dara Kurtz was in her late 20s, she was excited, excited about being pregnant. She was also devastated, devastated that her mother was recently diagnosed with stage four cancer. As Dara's baby grew, Dara's mother grew closer to the end of her life. Two weeks after Dara's daughter was born, her mother died, sweeping Dara into a whirlwind of diametrically opposed emotional states. The thrill of being a new mother and the heartbreak of being a grieving daughter. Dara did what so many of us do. She focused on the good, her new baby, and pushed the grief aside. As it goes, though, that strategy didn't work very well for very long but it's what she needed to do in the moment to survive. Decades later, Dara rediscovered a collection of letters and cards from her mother, written over the course of Dara's life. And in those letters, she also rediscovered just how connected she still is to her mother, and in a sense to all the women in her family, those who came before and those who come after. The letters inspired her new book, I Am My Mother's Daughter, Wisdom on Life, Loss, and Love. Another way that Dara is connected to her mother is in the fact that six and a half years ago, she was also diagnosed with cancer. Dara was terrified that her two daughters would have to grow up without their mother. Thankfully, Dara is still here, still mothering her daughters, and also writing her popular blog, Crazy Perfect Life. Dara is a speaker, workshop leader, and coach, helping others to uncover what matters the most to them. Dara, thank you so much for being part of Grief Out Loud today. I'm looking forward to talking with you more. Thank you so much for having me. It's a thrill to be here. And I know in our conversation today, we're going to talk about your book, I Am My Mother's Daughter, and kind of just about how grief has been a part of your life for many years uh, after the death of your mom. And just wondering, could you start, tell us a little bit about your mom? And, and I'm curious if the way you talk about her has changed over the years. Yeah. So my mom passed away a few weeks after I had my first child. I was pregnant when we found out my mom, really the same weekend we found out my mom had stage four cancer was the same weekend I found out that I was pregnant. And as my stomach got bigger, my mom got sicker and sicker. And then just really a couple of weeks after I had my daughter, she passed away. And so I was experiencing these two different emotions, such joy at becoming a new mom and such grief and pain and loss at not having my mom. And so they really kind of followed me around throughout my daughter's life. And she's now 21 years old. And so it's been 21 years since my mom passed away. And it's been really one of the hardest things for me to make peace with and learn to deal with. I would say that my the way that I sort of approach 
the grief and talk about my mom has changed over the past 21 years. But really, it wasn't until I sat down and wrote this book that I was able to maybe see a lot of things that I didn't recognize and maybe sort of heal my heart while I was writing. Yeah, it's such a good example of how when someone dies and we now have this grief that we carry with us the rest of our life, we may not understand certain things about that grief or about that person or about our relationship or even about how we've responded until some time has passed and we have some perspective. And so I, yeah, I was really, as I was, you know, reading through pieces of your book and and listening to other interviews you've done, I've just really appreciated that reminder to all of us that there can be this push to get all the grief done right at the beginning, you know, and like, we're going to learn everything we need to know in that first year. And then that's it. And it's like, no, there's, there's still time to go back. I love that you said that because, you know, everyone kept telling me, Dara, the first year is going to be the hardest. Just get through the first year, the first holiday, the first birthday. And then it was kind of like an implied that everything would be okay after that first year passed. But as you know, that's not what happens. And sure, it did get a little bit easier with time, but I almost feel like you just kind of learn how to live with it. And so it's not necessarily that it really gets easier. You just maybe find your peace and maybe can handle it or learn how to handle it a little bit differently. But for me, it was just such a distraction having my daughter. And so I kind of pushed all the not so fun dealing with grief and all those feelings I sort of kind of like just pushed it under the rug because it's a lot more fun to think about having a brand new baby than it is to think about all the loss and the pain of not having my mom. And so I think what happened for me is I just really got into a pattern of pretending that everything was fine when it wasn't fine. This pattern kind of followed me through my life and I didn't really, I really didn't see it until I sat down and wrote this book. I was kind of blown away and had some of those, wow, I can't believe moments for myself that, you know, because I had thought that I had really dealt with a lot of it, when in reality, I hadn't. And so it was kind of a wake up call for me. That's interesting to think about, too, because I, I often wonder sometimes when, when someone says like, I was just, you know, trying to put on my brave face or put on my happy face, or I was just pretending everything was fine. There's this assumption that it's really deliberate. And that the person is very aware, like, I am not okay, and I'm putting on this okay face. And it sounds like for you, it wasn't that clear that that's what was happening. No, it wasn't clear at all. I mean, I felt like my daughter deserved to have a happy mom. That was just kind of like a mantra that I kept saying to myself. My daughter deserves to have a happy mom. I need to be a happy mom. And so I think I just got used to putting on a happy face and pretending because I think I was really afraid that if I gave myself permission to open up the door and let the grief sort of walk through what would happen. What if it was too much? What if I couldn't handle it? Then what would happen? And so I definitely think that it was a, it was a way for me to protect myself. And that's something we hear so much from people. If I start crying, I'm never going to stop. If I really look at this grief, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to implode. Like I'm just going to dissolve in some way. And so what was that process like for you? And, and what, I mean, you didn't dissolve, you're here. So so tell me a little bit about like what that was like for you to start opening the door to the grief. Well, I let a lot of time go by until I was really able to let myself open up the door because, 
over the past 21 years, I definitely let myself cry and feel and grief. Look, it followed me around like my shadow. I mean, the loss of my mom was always there for every new stage that my daughter and I, and then I had another daughter. So for every stage that my daughters were in, it was a kind of a reminder that my mom wasn't there for me to share it with for every birthday party, for every big family event, or, um, I mean, it was always there, but it wasn't until I really sat down and maybe I trusted and maybe I've done a lot of work on myself that, okay, I can get through this. I can open up that door a little bit, maybe glance in and let myself feel and let those feelings come out. But six and a half years ago, I went through breast cancer and that was just a terrifying experience for me because I know how hard it is to live in a world without having my mom. I didn't want my daughters to have to go through the same thing. And so it was kind of like a, you know, how, how, how unfair could the universe get to have my daughters be 11 and 14 and me sort of have to look at my mortality. And I was very lucky. I found it relatively early, but it brought back so much of when my mom was sick, as I went through my treatment, I think I really remembered a lot of what she had gone through. And so again, I sort of pushed that under the rug as well. But after going through breast cancer, I changed a lot and I did a lot of work on myself. And I think that's really why in this season of my life, I was able to sort of say, you know what, I am done pretending and I'm ready to release it all. I was wondering too, if, if you had a sense of how your mother dying of cancer influenced the decisions you made about your own course of treatment and what you wanted to do. Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely went in from day one when I heard you have breast cancer with the attitude of we're going to be as aggressive as possible, period, no discussion. And I would sit with the doctors and that was just the first thing I said is I want to be as aggressive as possible. And they would start to say maybe some options that weren't as aggressive, weren't as aggressive. And I would just kind of put my hand up and say, we're not doing that. I have to be as aggressive as possible so that I can find my peace. And I knew that it would help me kind of move forward and it would help me be able to say, okay, I did this and this and this, there's nothing else I could have possibly done. It was really more for my mental health in addition to my physical well-being. Yeah. And it sounds like so rooted in that, like I, I need and want to be here for my daughters and I want to make sure I've done everything I, I feel like I can possibly do to ensure that. Absolutely. I mean, I remember looking at my surgeon and saying, dying is not an option. Like it's just not even an option. We have to do everything we possibly can. And again, I I know I'm very lucky and I had a lot of guilt about that because I was going through breast cancer and had found it relatively early. My mom had stage four melanoma, which is a form of skin cancer. And over 21 years ago, there were hardly any treatment options. And so I had a lot of guilt about what I was facing versus what she had to face. And so I needed to kind of work through the, that guilt as well. You know, earlier when you were talking about, about your mom and how you know, she got diagnosed right as you found out that you were pregnant and you went through this parallel process of like growing a new life as, as your mom was watching the end of her life approach very quickly. And it just made me, I was just wondering, did you and your mom have questions about mothering and motherhood and becoming a parent, like leading up to you getting pregnant? My mom was a child 
she was an educator. She educated parents on how to deal with their kids and gave them a lot of advice and as a counselor. And so we didn't have a lot of conversations about once I was pregnant because the whole focus was on my mom's health and how she was doing. And I really did not even think that much about being pregnant over that nine months. I think it was thank, in a way, thank goodness I was pregnant because it forced me to eat and take care of myself. Um, and I couldn't get into a space where I didn't take care of my body, but really the whole focus was on my mom and her treatment plan and really just wanting her to see the baby. And I knew that she had, the doctors had said she had about nine months to live and my daughter was early and it's a good thing she was early because really I think my mom lived to see Zoe and then immediately after that she went into a coma and then passed away a couple of weeks later. So thinking back on that time, what questions do you wish you had thought of or had the chance or were in the right space to have asked your mom? Honestly, the biggest question I wish I had asked my mom was, how do I live in the world without having you? How do I make it? How do I get through and make the most out of my life without having you right there beside me? And we didn't have any of those conversations. I was just, I think, just trying to survive. I was just trying to, you know, stay as healthy as I possibly could being pregnant and I just wasn't in any possible space to have those conversations. And then as she progressed, I don't think she was either. And then the cancer spread to her brain. And then we had a lot of issues regarding that. And so we, we didn't have a lot of those conversations, but throughout my life, she had always said things like, you know, one day when you're a mom and you know, you're going to do this or do that. Or, and, and so I knew I knew what she would want for me and I've always known that. So I never felt like I didn't have a clue with regards to kind of like what she would think about things. It just was that feeling of we were all cheated. The, the feeling that why isn't she here to see all of this and to get to do all of this. And so that loss was really, was really there. If you had asked your mom the question of like, how do I live without you? Like, how do I move forward in my life as a, as a mom and as a woman without you here? What do you imagine she might have said? I think she would have said, I raised you to be a strong, a strong girl, a strong daughter. You're my daughter and you have everything inside yourself to get through and face the challenges that life's going to present to you. And you have to trust and believe in yourself. And at that time, I really didn't. I didn't trust and believe that I was strong enough to overcome that loss. For, for a long time, my mom was my greatest cheerleader. We talked every day. She was my person. And so not having her there to validate and give me those positive affirmations and, and kind of make me feel like the decisions I was making were the right decisions, that was really hard. But I think she really would have said, you know, trust yourself. You're my daughter. You have everything inside of you to do whatever you need to do. Which seems fitting given the title of your book, which is I Am My Mother's Daughter, like of carrying forward that. And uh, what was the impetus for writing the book? 
So it wasn't a book I ever planned on writing. My oldest daughter, Zoe, was about to go back to college, and we found these mother-daughter journals that I kept when my daughters were young. And I would write to them, and I would put a journal on their pillow, and then they would write back to me and put it on my pillow. And it was just a beautiful way for us to communicate and for me to boost their self-esteem and for us to sort of talk. And we found these journals right before she went back to school. And we were reading them and holding hands and we were so happy and we were smiling. And it was just like such a beautiful gift to be able to hear our voices from the past. Like I could hear little Zoe and what she wrote. And so she, she left, she went back to school. And I was thinking, gosh, I wish I had something like that for my mom. And that's when I remembered that I had a Ziploc bag of letters in my house, the letters that were written to me the first time I went to sleepaway camp at age nine until I graduated from college. And the letters were written by my mom and my two grandmothers, and they've all passed away. And so I remembered that I had the letters. I never had the courage to go back and open that bag or reread any of the letters. And reading those journal entries sort of kind of nudged me to, I wonder what's in the letters. I wonder how it'll make me feel. And so a little bit of time went by. And then finally, one night I was sitting on the couch and I was like, you know what? Tonight's the night I'm opening up this bag. And I read the letters and I was blown away by just such a gift of how I could hear my mom's voice and I could feel her personality and her advice and the wisdom. It was so relevant. And I felt like I was getting to know my mom a little bit better. And after that experience, I just felt like there was a book there. I wanted to write a book about the connection between mothers and daughters from one generation to the next. And it really made me think about how I was my mother's daughter and my daughters are her granddaughter and my grandmothers and sort of like how we all fit together, woman to woman, one generation to the next. It, it just, it kind of all happened and I'm so grateful. How do you find yourself embodying your mother's spirit and her and her guidance and her voice, you know, that you were able to reconnect with when you did finally open up that Ziploc bag of letters? I think I've always been embodying her voice from the moment I became a mom. I just didn't really realize it. Just the way that I raised my daughters. And I was always so close to my mom and I'm so close to my daughters. And just the things that we do, there's a lot of different things that we have always done to sort of bring my mom into my daughter's lives and kind of have that connection, if you will, because I really wanted my daughters to not just look at a picture of my mom, but I wanted them to know her as much as they possibly could, as much as anyone can get to know someone who's passed away. I feel like by sharing stories and talking about her over the past 21 years, my daughters have kind of gotten that glimpse. And of course, now being able to have the letters and hear her voice is such a gift, not only to me, but to them. Are there ways in which your daughters remind you of your mom? Yeah, for sure. Especially my oldest daughter, Zoe. She really does remind me a lot of my mom, her spirit. She's always had this like joyful energy. And we've always said that from day one, she reminded me of my mom and little things that both my daughters do, which is such a beautiful gift. I, I'm so happy to have that and to be able to see that, how things really go and, and are passed on from one generation to the next. Going back to what you said earlier of when when your mom first died and you had 
Zoe as a, you know, very small baby, you just had this thought of like, my child deserves a happy mom. My child deserves a happy mom. And wondering like, how do you relate to that idea now in your, in your mothering 20 years later? Yeah, that's a great question. I would tell my younger self that it's okay if you're not perfect or it's okay if you're not happy all the time. And I would give myself that permission to really feel all the feels and to really be open and honest and say, you know what, I'm not okay. And to, and to talk to my friends about it. At the time, I was really the only person in my friend group who had lost a parent. A lot of people around me, I felt like really didn't know what I was feeling and, and couldn't relate. And so I, I, I didn't really open up and talk about it, but I think I definitely would give myself permission to just be real and honest. And I think everyone would have benefited from that. It would have taken a lot of pressure off my shoulders. I wouldn't have felt that pressure of pretending like it takes a lot of energy to pretend that you're fine when you're not fine. And so it just, I think it would have been a way for me to navigate that a little bit easier and with more support because people thought I was fine. And you thought you were fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even though, I mean, I think deep down inside, of course I knew I wasn't fine. I mean, we can try to pretend and hide from ourselves, but that only lasts for so long. I, I definitely knew that I had work to do, but I just kind of pushed it away. At that year, I went back to work after being out for maternity leave for a little bit. I went back to work and it was like my best possible year ever. At the time, I was a financial advisor. And to me, like looking back, that just says it all. Because someone who just lost her mom and just had a baby should not have her number one best year of work. But I literally just dove into work, focused on that. That was like the only thing that kept me from letting all the pain in. Which, you know, at the time, I think is sometimes I feel like that's almost the genius, you know, of, our, <laughs> of ourselves of like, I, I'm not in a place where I can fully look at this. So I'm going to focus on work and that is going to get me through, you know, this first year with all my molecules mostly intact. And, and it sounds like the challenge is sometimes we go into those places from a protection or survival. And then, it, like you said, it becomes a habit and yeah. we don't have the, the chance to maybe feel like, okay, I'm in a, a little bit different spot now. I maybe do have enough safety to look a little bit at this grief. And instead it's like, well, I'll wait 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I think, yeah, getting through that first year and maybe it was my coping mechanism, but then sort of saying like, okay, I'm going to sit and journal and write the things that I'm really missing right now, or kind of try to tap into some of that pain and grief to kind of release it. But instead, it just sort of became the norm, pretending like I was fine, pushing it all away, going forward with life. But you can't run from grief. You know that. It's going to sneak up on you. It's always going to be there unless you do the work. How about in your current day? Like, What do you turn to for those grief releases along the way? Yeah, I just don't try to hide any of it at all anymore. I mean, if I'm feeling sad, I'm going to say, I'm going to give myself permission to feel sad. I'm going to talk about it with my husband and my daughters. I'm going to journal about it. I practice a lot of yoga. I uh, try to spend time in nature every day. I meditate. I practice a lot of self-care. I mean, these are all tools that I didn't have back then. And so I feel like I know myself a lot more. I'm a lot more in tune with my body now. I'm also just a lot more accepting of whatever I'm feeling. 
I'm open to letting myself feel it so that I can l- let it flow through and get to the other side. I mean, when you, when you have a negative emotion and you try to kind of like suppress it, that just kind of heightens that feeling. But if you let that uncomfortable feeling kind of flow through you, you'll get to the other side. Yeah, I always think about like, you know, if your dog has to pee and it's scratching at the door, if you just ignore the dog scratching at the door, it doesn't mean the dog suddenly doesn't have to pee anymore. Eventually, you're either going to have to have him open the door and take that dog out to pee or he's going to come right in your, he's going to scratch his way through the door and show up right in front of you. I love that. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then there's a mess if you don't, if you don't let him go outside, then there's a big mess and you're, and you're left with something to clean up. And so, you know, the same holds true. If you don't let yourself feel all the feels, you're going to have a mess to deal with later on. And so, I mean, I felt like I did have some of that to deal with. My husband and I, we had a hard time a little bit a few years after my mom passed away because I was so angry and Um, You know, we did go to counseling, thank goodness, and we were able to work it all out. But I can look back now and and see the messes, if you will, that crept into my life because I didn't let the dog out. I can't believe I just made an analogy about a dog peeing on the podcast, but I'm going to leave it in. And then we're using it, but it's a good one. I mean, it's such a good one. It's so simple. It's so simple. And I think everyone can really visualize that. So you've gone from you know, many years of maybe not being very open with yourself or with others about your grief, about your story, about the pain of your mom's death. And now you are in a place of having written and published a book. You've been on tons of podcasts. You're telling your story a lot. What's that been like for you? And how has that shifted your grief? It's the biggest blessing ever. It's such a gift to one, be able to help other people who are maybe feeling similar or maybe holding onto their grief, maybe don't know how to give themselves permission to feel some of the feelings that maybe they've been suppressing. It's such a gift to be able to talk about my mom in a positive way. And I think she would be really just so happy that I'm positively using the experience of our family to maybe help other people deal with whatever they're going through. It's also helped me sort of shift and make peace with my mom's death. I still miss her every single day. That loss is still there, but I really was able to find my peace. And that is really the biggest gift out of all of it. It just feels so much lighter. That's always a curious concept too, because I, I wonder sometimes when folks in grief hear like, you know, I've made peace with my mom's death or I've let go of the pain. And I wonder if sometimes that sounds a little bit like I don't care anymore that my mom has died. I wonder if you could just share a little bit more about like what what do those terms mean to you in the day to day? Yeah. So I'll never stop caring that she passed away. It's really the greatest challenge of my adult life that I didn't have her when I became a mom and I will never stop missing her. But I don't walk through every day feeling like a victim. I don't feel like the universe did me wrong, did her wrong. I don't have that attitude anymore. I've accepted that this is what happened and I can't change it as much as I try to change it versus before I walked through every day feeling really angry and bitter about what happened and didn't want to accept what happened. It does feel 
like I approach every single day just from a place of such gratitude. I'm so grateful for what I had. I don't focus on what I lost every single day like I used to. I mean, being able to count my blessings, not my problems. I mean, just that that one little shift is such a big deal in terms of how you feel every day. Yeah, I appreciate that idea that we don't need to route out all uh, residue of missing in order to get to that place of maybe feeling a little bit more at ease with the circumstances. It doesn't mean we like them. You know what I mean? It's just like helpful for people to know that those two things can exist. Anyone listening to this, if you've lost someone, you know how hard it is to travel through your life and not have that person there with you. And you're never going to be happy about it. But I also feel like I got to this place where finally I was able to give myself permission to be happy. And I know my mom would want, want that for me. And so finding my peace and making my peace for me has really just been about giving myself that, that permission to show up and be the happiest version of myself. I don't have to be unhappy because my mom isn't here. And I think for a long time, I felt like I didn't deserve to be happy because she wasn't here. But now I, I really fully understand and know that me making the most out of every single day of my life is a way for me to honor my mom instead of spending time stuck in that other space that she would never want for me. So you've really come full, full circle with that sort of demand you put on yourself when your daughter was first born, that my daughters deserve a happy mom. But you've, yeah. you've like lived your way into that in, in, a, in a totally different, or it just has a very different feel to it. Yeah. You know, nobody's ever said that to me. And I love that you just kind of put that together. And I really appreciate that. But yeah, I do. I feel like my daughters deserve a happy mom, but now they have a real happy mom. And there, that does not mean I'm going to be happy every single day of my life <laughs> or that we're not going to have hard days or hard, mo or hard moments. It just means that I'm going to do my best to at least give myself permission and try to help myself make the most out of every day no matter what I'm facing, even when there's a really hard days. Well, Dara, I'm wondering for listeners out there who want to connect with you, I'll put a link to your book in our show notes and, and to your website. But could you tell us just a little bit like how can people stay connected with you and what should they kind of have on their radar for what's next? So my website is crazyperfectlife.com and they can find me there. I'm on social media. Of course, Instagram is at Crazy Perf Life. And on Facebook, it's at Crazy Perfect Life. I do a lot of speaking. I'm doing a lot of Zoom things. So anyone who's listening, if your organization is looking for someone to kind of Zoom in right now about any of this, that's it's just my privilege to get to do that. And I, I, I love doing that and helping other people. I don't know what's coming next. I think there's definitely more books in my life down the road, but I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. And I'm okay not knowing. That's really part of the fun. It's just right now I'm just grateful to be in this space and enjoying talking about this book and helping other people. Well, we will all stay tuned then. And thank <laughs> you so much, Dara, for joining me today and, and sharing about your book, I Am My Mother's Daughter, and just about the process that you went through. I think it's something, well, I know it's something that so many folks can relate to and, and learn from. So thank you for taking time today to talk with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really been an honor. 
And listeners out there, thank you for being part of our community. If uh, the show speaks to you and you feel like it could help someone else in your life, please feel free to share it with them or forward it to them. And if you want to listen to any of our past episodes, you can find all of them on our website, dougy.org. You can reach out to me directly at griefoutloud at Dougie, D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.